there there really are no words to describe the how sad and tragic um, the events in Reno were last weekend. Uh, the uh, for anyone who conceivably was isn't up to date on this, um, a a highly modified P fifty one race plane uh, being piloted by uh, Jimmy Leeward uh, suffered some sort of failure. Uh, as it made the last turn onto the big straightaway uh, in one of the races at Reno, uh, lost control or the airplane went out of control somehow and ended up crashing into uh, the front edge of the crowd, uh, resulting, um, as of this moment, almost a week later, in 11 fatalities. Um, so, so sad, um, obviously for those victims, but for everybody involved. We're hearing stories left and right about people who... Um, witnessed this tragedy and, and, and how incredibly troubling it all is. Um, the, the media has been doing what the media does. The media has been, been, been talking about it. And, uh, and yeah, we've seen some good, we've seen some bad and we've seen some ugly, but we have seen some good. Yeah. Let me start out by saying that, um, as we always try to do, and sometimes we do this better than others, um, it's really way too early to be speculating very, very deeply on what actually caused this accident. Uh, the NTSB is doing their thing. Um, they're they're releasing a little bit of information about what they're discovering, just very factual stuff. Um, but it will be a while before they tell us what they think happened. And and I believe that they will get a pretty good picture eventually. But it's too soon. And and I think we should be a little careful about speculating too deeply on what the causes of this tragedy are uh, were. But there's 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 a lot of information floating around. Out but there's there. a lot of information floating around. Um, some of it makes sense to me anyways, but a lot of it doesn't. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about a little bit. And that is some of the subjects that have been talked about, particularly in the mainstream media, but even in the aviation media, um, about the circumstances of this tragedy. And and I wanted to just talk a little bit about, um, you know, what maybe is the... I don't know how to put this exactly. The right way to think about this. What, what are the? What's the misinformation that we think is floating around here? So, uh, and you know, just kind of starting at the at the at the beginning, I guess. Well, uh, go ahead, Jeb. You, you have it here on the list, so I mean, it's not you know some great uh, um, um, insight that I've, I've come up with, but. Um, yeah, this is this airframe started life as a P fifty one. Right, uh, and that's one of it's, it's it's been extremely highly modified. And this is one of my issues with yeah. the with the media. All right, is the media has has repeatedly been referring to this as a as simply a P fifty one. Occasionally, they refer to it as a vintage aircraft. Sometimes they refer to it as a as a nineteen forties vintage or era aircraft. And you guys probably know more about this than I do, but in my view, this is really hardly any of those things. This is a highly modified, state of the art racing machine. And and to call it a P fifty one kind of puts a a, a a spin on this that's just not accurate. And, and well, you you got to have a starting point, and that's what this airplane started out as. It sure did, but it's hardly that now. Am I right? I, I just think it's just not a P fifty one anymore. Well, I mean, a vast well, I won't say a vast majority. Um, some of the major systems in the aircraft have, have were altered. Um, uh, it's been widely reported also five feet. It was clipped off each wing. Um, the, um, traditional P 51 underbelly, uh, air scoop, uh, for, uh, cooling the engine, uh, was disappeared. And, um, a, a set of radiators were developed, uh, and they were bathed in, in anti-detonation fluid, I believe it was, um, um, to, uh, cool the engine streamlining it that much more, reducing or eliminating some cooling drag. And, um, you know, those, those, if one look at the airplane, um, in the pro, in its profile, um, you can tell the, 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 uh, cockpit has been, has been modified. The, the canopy has been, had been radically lowered. Uh, a lot of streamlining had gone on. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it has a basic configuration as a P-51, and yet it was originally a P-51, but again, highly and extremely modified uh, for specifically for racing, as, as, as uh, Jack points out. Is it, is it structurally very different than a P-51? Do they, do they beef it up somehow? They must, I, mean, I would think, I don't know. 
Well, we know a few things about it uh, because Jimmy had given some interviews and in, in, in been published about the uh, modifications to the airplane, uh, among which was taking 10 feet off the wingspan, I believe it was. Right. Five feet off each wing. Uh, that's probably going to entail some changes to how the, uh, the, the spar is, is beefed up. Uh, they pull some pretty good Gs on these turns, but that airplane was designed for the kind of combat where that kind of G-load was already expected. So how much more it needed to be beefed up beyond that, we don't know. It had a Packard engine. Uh, the, uh, the fuselage had been recut and the canopy and the uh, aft fuselage reshaped uh, so that it looked like a, a, a lot, lot more like a, a Razorback P-51, like a, a, a B, or C, right. uh, except much shorter. Uh, looking at some of these modified airplanes earlier this year out there, uh, you know, when the pilot gets strapped in, tied down, and the canopy closed, there's only about two-thirds of their head showing above the canopy rails. Uh, they've got to be able to see, and you already can't see really well looking straight ahead out of a Mustang fuselage anyway. Uh, so the, you know, they get it down as low as they can for reducing the wetted area, reducing the drag. Anything you can do to, to reduce the wetted area, reduce the drag, uh, it all goes to helping the airplane go faster. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, um, what about the, the the back half of the airplane? Um, a lot of suspicion is being aimed at the the tail, the empennage, the you know pieces back there. But it just in general, is I would imagine that the structure back there is beefed up too. I mean, is it? I cannot I cannot state one way or another whether there's much additional work done to uh, strengthen the tail section. Uh, as I said before, this airplane was built for air combat. Mm-hmm. to begin with. So it was built with some pretty heavy loads and some pretty high Gs uh, from the get-go. Now, I don't believe that those airplanes, when North American was building them back in the 40s, were expected to still be flying 60 years later. No, they weren't, expe- uh, they weren't expected I, to be flying 50 hours or 60 yeah, hours I would, later. Yeah, I would suggest that they were almost considered disposable back then. Yeah. But, uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh, let alone flying with the added horsepower that uh, that, right. that these uh, race plane engines put out. Yeah. This is actually one of my few... A damn oh, powerful airplane. Yeah. And, and one thing here, and we don't, we don't know, and we, we may never know, uh, uh, how, how heavily modified were other parts of the airframe. Uh, but, I, you know, on one level, I kind of wonder if that's not even relevant, uh, because uh, this airplane had been a race plane... Um, since the 40s, and it had been passed from one owner to the next and, and campaigned uh, uh, quite often. So, it, A, it was no stranger to the race circuit. B, um, these things aren't shoved in the hangar at the end of the season. Uh, this is a, a year-round thing. And mm-hmm. They're gone through. They're, they're inspected. They're, they're repaired. They're beefed up. They're disassembled and, and new parts installed. And all this has been going on since, since the aircraft was brand new. Uh, um, so I, 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 while I, we don't know and, 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 as I say, may never know uh, the extent to which the rest of the airframe had been modified, it almost isn't, isn't really relevant because um, it had been so thoroughly inspected and gone over by so many people over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. so it may well turn out that 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 a failure of the aircraft was a, a big part of this problem that caused this this tragedy, but it wasn't because it was a vintage aircraft or a. Or a oh a, no! A you mean like aircraft. age and corrosion? Exactly. And, no. Not even close. Yeah. Not the way these things get built and rebuilt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's like race cars. Race car might be five or six years old and not necessarily the state of the art for this season. Uh, but anything that wears and tears and fatigues gets looked at. A lot of it gets replaced out of hand without you know any question about whether it needs to be replaced. It just is replaced. Yeah. yeah. And like Jeb said, you know, the, this goes in. This airplane is, is a year-round endeavor that doesn't just get drug out for the weekend of Reno. 
One particularly, I mean, not to understate this or overstate this, but one unfortunate um, coincidence um, on this weekend was that there was an an air show fatality, maybe two, I'm not sure, um, later that weekend. And, um, And the news the media started to link these together to talk about, um, oh, look at all the air show um, accidents and fatalities. And, and I think it's, it's important to make a distinction here um, that, that Reno is not an air show. Uh, Reno is, is an air race. Right. And, and they use different rules about the way that the aircraft are, are allowed to, to perform and, and to, uh, to operate in front of the crowd. Um, and, and, and I would, Except the the claim that air races are somewhat more dangerous for the spectators, um, but but just let's talk about air shows for a second. I mean, air shows. It's almost inconceivable this kind of an accident would happen at air show, in my view. Um, the way the, the the rules that they put on the air show performers about you know operating towards the not operating towards the crowd, staying away from the crowd, you know, directing the energy of the aircraft away from the crowd when they move. Um, I, I think that that this kind of thing, you know, to say that oh air shows, this is just a great example of how air shows are incredibly dangerous, is 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 tarring air shows with this brush unfairly. What do you well, think? I, I think you're right on, on, on one level. On another level, I don't think that um, this particular accident really should tar, uh, tarnish, I should say, um, air races. Um, Me neither, but, let's, but let's, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Let's, Tell let's, us why. Let's, let's go back to the air show thing. You're absolutely right. Um, any, any aerobatics, you're in a box, and that's you know been surveyed. So that um, you're, you're not near um, uh, population, you're not near uh, a crowd, um, you're, you're not, as, as you correctly note, uh, sending energy towards the crowd. Um, the flip side of that, of course, is you know, in that box and in front of the crowd, you might be doing uh, a spin, or you might uh, uh, have uh, some other maneuver that you're performing that on occasion will point the nose of the airplane towards the crowd. That's a momentary thing. Yeah. Um, and the same thing is, tr- is true with, with air racing. Um, you can't go in a circle in, in front of a fixed point without at one point or another uh, uh, the vector from that circle, uh, a point being pointed at that point, uh, in this case the crowd. Uh, but in, in, in Reno, these are, what's, what's the course length out there, Dave? For the unlimiteds and the uh, jets, the course is a little over eight and a quarter miles yeah. long. Yeah. yeah. And and the, they're only passing in front and close to the crowd for, what, a, maybe a mile or so of that eight Not miles. even. Well, yeah. yeah, and I think it's even less. I, I take your, your, I, your point is absolutely correct, Jeb, only I would say it's even less than that. All right. What it I would suggest is. is that the airplane is only pointed at the crowd for a fraction of a second. I mean, just well, kind it, of visualize it as the airplane turns that last corner. The nose is going to sweep across the crowd. This might be a good thing to to find the link that shows the diagram on the Reno Air Racing Association's website yeah. uh, to show how the course is laid out and where the pylons are. Because the, the last pylon on the course, for all the courses, uh, is far to the west end of, uh, I think it's 826, and, and that's the runway that uh, the, the crowd is lined up along and well, well back from the runway. When they come to that last pylon, getting ready to make the turn where they go past the audience, uh, they're a good half a mile west of where the crowd actually is, but they're pointed right back at the hangars. Mm-hmm. And then they roll into a turn. They've just come out of the fastest stretch of the course. It's a almost two-mile-long, uh, they call it the Valley of Speed. Mm-hmm. It's where the terrain drops down a little bit. They can come out of, what uh, I think it's Pylon 6, uh, and dip the nose down a little bit because the terrain falls away a little bit and gives them an opportunity to let gravity add a little to their, to their speed. When they get to that last pylon and they roll in, they have about a half a second to make sure that they are on the north side of the center line of 826 before they get to the edge of the hangars. 
If they bust that, they're out of the race. They're disqualified. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Leeward came out of that turn very wide. And, you know, that's the first indication for this, many of the spectators that I've talked to and heard from was that there was something wrong because, uh, you know, you, you come out of that crowd wide or out of that turn wide. Uh, you're either heading over the hangars or you're headed toward the crowd. Now, it happens. And the pilots usually, rather than trying to crank back really tight to get on the right side, on the correct side of that center line, they just take themselves out of the heat. They go past the hangars, behind the crowd, slow down, pull up and get above the race course and wait for that heat to finish. Right. Uh, but even when they stay on the course, my point here is that the the aircraft is pointed at the people for a very brief period of time. If it if they but, do it but, right, but it's never pointed long, at the people. Yeah. Well, from a very very long distance away, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so the, one of the things that just boggles my mind about this 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 incident is is that the failure, whatever it was, had to happen at exactly the wrong moment. I mean, of of you know the eight miles whatever, around the whatever course. Whatever went wrong started before he made that turn at Pylon Eight. Yeah, but and just you know that could have happened anywhere else in the course, and it would have been a tragedy still. But but you know it happened at a very the 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 worst moment in the course to make it go into the crowd. Um, but now it, it it could be said that um, despite the loss of life and and the injuries um and you know how how drastically these people are going to be affected for the rest of their lives and their families uh it could have been much worse you oh. say about you know that specifics yeah second but you know there, there are some other seconds in there where um um it could have been a lot worse yeah so David, you were you were actually out in Reno, um, not during the races, but some months ago, and uh, um, and between that and and other um, times that you've been to the Reno races, Jeb, have you ever been to the Reno races? I have not. Yeah, I've been like maybe twice, maybe three times. But but David, um, so when it, you described one circumstance, one situation where where a pilot is having trouble and, and what the procedure is, and another one that's very common is this whole thing that they when they have a problem they will basically go into a climb, and and I'm I'm told apparently also try and get into this a little bit more into the center of the course, and they call Mayday um, on the radio. And Correct. and then once they've gained all that altitude, then they've got a lot more to work with in terms of getting back on the ground safely. Correct. And, uh, my, our friends at the Experimental Aircraft Association were nice enough to send me to Reno for the Reno Air Racing Association's annual pylon racing seminar. And this is where you learn to fly an airplane on the race course and earn your qualification to come back in September and actually race. If you haven't been through their course, uh, don't have their paperwork, you know, you can come with the greatest airplane and all the money in the world, and you get to be a spectator. Uh, It's five days of very intense work. Uh, They're very strict about the standards that they hold the pilots to. Uh, And it, it bears pointing out that the seminar itself follows a formation flying clinic that's required of of students to go through the pylon racing seminar uh and that's two to three days where they learn to fly formation uh with other aircraft in their category and formation at reno is not the typical stuff that we see at air shows and with performance teams like the uh, aero shell uh the aero shell guys uh reno air races for those that have never seen them start with the airplanes in any given heat usually six to eight planes coming from the south of the bleachers just to the east of them going northbound in a straight line. The pace plane is on the far left. He looks down the row. If everybody's in the line, he calls the race starting, and it's everybody diving for the first pylon. But flying formation wingtip to wingtip is not something that even a lot of formation qualified pilots do much of. So you get through that, then you got the five-day seminar, and then a check ride and written test, and you get through that, and you get paperwork so you can come and race in Reno. One of the things that you have to learn to do is recover from an upset, because 
uh, wingtip vortices, uh, vortex turbulence, is really severe up there, particularly as the airplanes go faster. And as one of the guys I interviewed for the story found out, you can wind up upside down 100 feet off the ground very quickly. So you have to learn to recover from that and have to demonstrate that. Then there's emergency procedures, dead stick landings, uh, what to do if you have a crisis. Pulling up turns speed into altitude, gives you a chance to slow down, survey your situation. You call Mayday. Uh, you know, if it's something really urgent, like you're on fire, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna have the course cleared and you're, you're, you're allowed to go wherever you want to. But that pull up takes you out of the race and is a visual uh, indication to the officials that you have an issue and you're pulling yourself out of the heat. Uh, then they have two very long runways, 7,600 feet and 9,000 feet, that you can take your pick of to come back in. Yeah. Another one of the reports that um, that we heard in probably the first hour, um, some of us, I confess myself included, um, were following this on uh, Twitter and various chat boards and news re- news outlets and so forth um, within a few hours of, of the thing actually happening. And, and the early reports were describing uh, Jimmy Leeward as being 80 years old. Um, turns out he was not 80 years old. He was 74, I believe. Yeah. Um, and uh, but 80 or 74. Do is this a problem? Should guys that age be flying race planes? I don't think we can make a categorical blanket call on that. I mean, uh, I don't think we're qualified. Well, not only we're not qualified, but human physiology varies too greatly. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I know guys right now that are in their 80s that are still flying, uh, that are fit and trim. Now, they'd be the first to tell you that physiologically, they're not up to any high G stuff. But going out and flying the plane around and maybe doing a slow roll, maybe doing a loop where you maybe get two and a half G's going over the top. Yeah, they can do that and they enjoy it and have some fun. Um, So I I don't think, and that's why the medical qualification process is set up the way it is because there's just too much variety in human human, uh, uh, physiology. Do they go through some sort of medical certification above and beyond the FAA medicals? No, they do not. Do, are they, they have recall- to be current on their medical. Uh, on what class medical? Uh, as far as I know, just third class. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, a number of the guys that I interviewed out there were, you know, just private pilots. Uh, one of them was a Spaniard, uh, Guillermo. He was flying in the Formula One class, uh, early 30s, little guy. Only had about 330 hours. <laughs> so, you know, the, uh, another gentleman... Uh, uh, Scott Krause was there from Oklahoma City flying a, a, a Polish-built Iskra jet trainer. Uh, now Scott was in his 40s, uh, uh, an airline captain, a long-distance trans-Pacific airline captain with 14,000 hours. And there at that school, they were both equal-footing rookies. The only real difference between them was how much of a budget they had to fly the room. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there any any indication that the pilots sort of self-police? I mean, if... if, if oh, oh, yeah. I mean, if, we if all they, If they saw a pilot they didn't think was up to it for one reason or another, would they speak up, or is this too prideful? No, no. They absolutely will speak up. And if somebody sees something untoward being done with an airplane... Or, you know, a problem with an airplane, they'll speak up, too. Uh, it's a very tight community. Uh, that pylon racing seminar is kind of your, your uh, uh, paying your down payment on, on, on dues to belong to that club. And over the course of the week that I was there, I'd watch these guys get closer and closer, the students and the students with their instructor pilots. And, and by the end of it all, they were, they were a very tight-knit group, very family uh, helping one another out, offering one another suggestions, uh, tips. Uh, one of the jet instructor pilots was coaching a couple of guys on, on that last turn uh, before you come down the main straightaway, cautioning them that their instinct to roll into the turn and pull was going to do nothing but slow them down. If they could just roll in at, at the proper distance ahead of the pylon, that roll alone would carry them through without losing the kind of speed that a pole would. 
And he pointed out something that has I've seen come up a, a couple of times since then. Uh, if you're pulling up and then get waked, uh, you could find yourself in a radical stall and yeah, yeah. upside down and no room to recover. Uh, and they'll be right up front. Uh, this is the first time in Reno's 48 races right. that anyone other than uh, a pilot has suffered an injury or a fatality. Mm-hmm. First time. Now, there have been 20 pilots die in those 47 years. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. This, this, so. is not, this is not kid stuff. Right. Yeah. Let's, um, let's very, very carefully wander into the area of what might have gone wrong. Um, th- there are... I, you know, there's there's uh, eyewitness accounts, and I believe the NTSB is even starting to release bits and pieces of information, just very factual information. Um, a, a lot of attention is being paid to the elevator trim tab. Um, by the way, this may turn out to be one of the best documented crashes in the history of, I don't know what, of aviation. Yeah. General uh, aviation. Uh, uh, yeah, well, that's true. Um, it's pretty astounding. First of all, there's all the spectator uh, photos and video that... Uh, that uh, Yeah, it's really pretty remarkable. ...were taken. Some of them quite distressing, troubling, um, but, but it sounds like a lot of them are turning out to be very useful in terms of trying to figure out what was going on here. And one very dramatic picture, um, startlingly clear picture of the aircraft as it was coming down, um, shows... I actually saw two frames. One frame showed... Uh, what appeared to be the trim tab hanging off, just kind of barely hanging on to the elevator, and then another frame that showed the the uh, the uh, the elevator with no trim tab in place. At least that's what it appeared to be. Um, you know, so is the elevator trim tab that important? I mean, if my, if I'm flying my my Cessna and I lose the trim tab, am I going to die? Shouldn't it, dep- it depends? Yeah. So. What's different about these airplanes? We we heard a story of another pilot, actually two two incidents I heard about from the Reno Air Races in the past. One where a, a trim tab apparently left the airplane and it did this kind of a zoom and then lost control and crashed and killed its pilot. And another where the trim tab departed, uh, it zoomed and the pilot m- managed to regain consciousness at the top and get control of the airplane and and land safely. Um, why do these airplanes do that kind of a dramatic thing just because they lose the trim tab? What's the Some tail? Of the, what, what's Jeb, the tail? you go first. Yeah, go ahead, Jeb. What, what does the tail of an airplane do? Mm-hmm. Uh, it counteracts, it exerts a force that is opposite to the lift of, of the wings to try to balance out the aircraft. A canard does the same thing. Uh, um, uh, not, not, I'm sorry, canard does not do the same thing. Uh, a trailing tail does, um, and uh, you know basically the airfoil is inverted, so it it uh, it wants to uh, uh, the, the wings want to lift, and and uh, the tail needs to go to counteract that right. to balance the airplane in flight. So the trim tab is used. Uh, well, let me, let me back up. The elevator, of course, is used to control the pitch and to position and determine how much air and in which direction is going over the tail. These are very basic descriptions, okay, guys? Uh, don't, I don't want to read about, you know, oh, Burnside said something like that. No, no, no. no. This is very basic description. So we get the elevator positioned like we want it, and uh, we use the trim tab to do what? To trim off the control pressures. That's in a conventional airplane. Um, this, the same thing is true on this, on this P-51 Mustang. But what happens is... Because the airplane is going so much faster, because the wings are generating so much more lift, the forces involved here are, are that much greater also. Uh, you fly along in your Skyhawk, and um, your trim tab departs the airplane. You've still got a lot of surface there that you can control, and you're not going nearly as fast. Uh, um, in, any, in any event, you'd want to slow down uh, when that happens, but... Uh, you're also going to when the when the uh, when the trim tab departs the airplane, you're going to see a pitch excursion, um, and that's we think, or at least that's what a lot of the speculation is right now. That's what apparently happened to to Leeward's P-51. The trim tab departed. The uh, aerodynamics of the airplane were radically changed, and 
that resulted in a, in a startling uh, steep and quick pitch up um, as that, that uh, elevator lost some of its surface and lost some effectiveness. I read one eyewitness account um, from a, 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 someone in the pits area, a, a crew member, um, who, uh, who sort of had it happen right in front of him. And, and he described the moment where the aircraft pitched up to be just amazingly dramatic, um, sudden, uh, um, very, very hard pull. Um, he said it was so hard that you could actually hear a whoosh as the airplane pulled hard like that. Um, he speculated in this eyewitness account that, that it must have caused him to pull an incredible number of Gs, um, which we'll come back to in a second. So uh, so if the trim tab comes off, suddenly, I mean, there's just all this force, maybe more force than a human being can control with the stick? Well, it depends. Some of this well, depends on how the pilot has the aircraft trimmed to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, a number of the racers talked about using trim to help hold the nose down and then a little forward stick pressure because that helped them go a little faster around the course. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you lose the trim tab, you, you know, what what's transpiring here? First, you're losing s- surface area off the horizontal surfaces. That, that, that on that side doesn't have as much lifting area as it used to. You're losing, uh, you're changing the weight and balance of that control surface. So you're going to have uh, a, a lifting area change, you're going to have a weight change, and you're going to have drag because there's going to be a burble where that trim tab was. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gets into be some really complicated stuff going on back there. Mm-hmm. And, and then if it happens in a very quick, you know, in a, a very quick time frame, that is, it's not something where you feel it coming, you feel it coming, you try to figure it out, and seven or eight seconds later, it's, you know, it, it transpires, but something that you start to feel, and then boom, it's over. Uh, that could make it difficult to react. You're, and, speaking, you're speaking of flutter, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. In high G loads, you know, we're only human. Even the fittest military pilots have a hell of a time keeping their consciousness through seven and a half, eight, eight and a half Gs. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jeb, you were about to say something? What were you going to say? Well, what I was going to say is that, you know, we don't know, first of all, we don't know if the, the, the trim tab's departure, and apparently, I mean, we have photographic evidence of it. Uh, we don't know if the trim tab departures, um, um, you know, had, had we don't know exactly what sequence of events occurred is what I should say. Okay. Right. Um, the pictures show that it went away, but whether that was right. the was actual... That, was that a mechanical failure? Yeah, was that a mechanical failure? Was there an aerodynamic uh, uh, problem that ensued that that f- caused the the trim tab to depart? We don't know what happened first. I see what you're saying. The trim okay, tab going away could have been a cause or a result. Could have been right. a result, could've... exactly. Uh, could have been a cause or effect. Uh, could have been an effect in this instance. Um, we could the the trim tab could have experienced aerodynamic flutter, and anybody who's researched uh, aerodynamic flutter will will find out that. Uh, in some cases, it can be fairly benign. Uh, it can, uh, uh, but it, in, in a lot of other cases, it can be fairly, fairly violent. I would think pushing 500 miles an hour um, is, is going to be fairly uh, non-benign. Yeah. Um, so you know, we could have seen uh, the aerodynamic flutter occur, and in that could have damaged the tail, the aircraft, the airframe to some extent. Uh, the trim tab departs, but other damage has already occurred. We don't know. Right, right. Now, and also in the tail area, um, so these airplanes, in addition to having retractable main landing gear, it has a retractable tail wheel as well. And in one of the shots as the aircraft came down, the tail wheel is very clearly deployed. Is that anything? I don't know everything there we is don't to know. know. Yeah, we don't, we don't know. Uh, there, we there's, don't know. Been, there's been speculation that um, the... Um, there was a G-force applied uh, in that in that violent pitch-up that could have, may have, uh, broken some part of the tailwheel retraction extension mechanism, uh, perhaps an uplock pin, um, and allowing the tailwheel to free fall into position. We don't know. Okay. Um, and remember, go ahead, back David. To the, the G-force that these airplanes were designed for. 
uh, I don't think anybody in 1940 was thinking much past four or five G's. Uh, and you can only strengthen things to a certain point be- before you start adding weight that you don't want in, 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 in parts of the airplane for reasons because it makes it heavier, because it affects the performance. Uh, you know, those things compound. So, you know, the, the, the airplane was built with one thing in mind, modified with another thing in mind. Right, right. That's, that's going to come out, we expect, as the NTSB gets farther through, sifting through right. what's really one of the worst pieces of, of destruction I've ever seen. Yes. Um, another thing that's very notable is that uh, this airplane was not only um, highly instrumented in terms of sensors and, and so forth, but it was uh, being radio linked in real time back to the ground. Yeah. And, and so they've got telemetry uh, of a lot of different circumstances of the aircraft. Um, I, I've only really just barely skimmed this information. Have either of you kind of digested it all? Well, first of all, where did this come from? Is this offici- uh, released officially? Is this from NTSB or where did this? That's from the team. That's from the, the teams yeah. provided this to the safety board. Yes, yeah. but and has it been released to the public officially? Is it is this reliable information as far as it goes? I cannot tell you. Yeah. What yeah. What have we heard that that the telemetry has told us? <laughs> 11 G's and 108 inches of manifold pressure. Yeah, 11 G's is the number that really caught my attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. That the aircraft pulled 11 G's you know, at some point. Well, and this the whole guy plot. from 1998 yeah, racing voodoo, he he reported that he experienced 10 G's on the G meter in his airplane. So, right. mm-hmm. and that was the guy who came voodoo, to at the top, right? Yeah, voodoo yeah. was another P51, which uh, is still being campaigned, as I recall. Uh, but it it suffered. Um, departure of its trim tab. This was when, Dave, back in the 90s. Um, and it suffered, as I say, departure of its trim tab. And um, a resulting pitch-up ensued. Um, it was sufficiently um, violent, sufficiently strong. And let, me, let me put it another way. There were a sufficient number of Gs you know, sustained by the airplane that the pilot blacked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the airplane assumed that uh, that nose-up pitch attitude and started climbing. Uh, and it kept climbing. And uh, the pilot uh, came to at around 9,000 feet. Now, all things considered, that's probably not that long because it's probably doing four or 5,000 foot per minute uh, yeah. in a zoom climb like that. Um, so he, he, he uh, came out of his unconscious state, uh, recovered the airplane, and, it, and landed it safely. Um, and uh, a lot of people point to the voodoo accident incident as being related to this one. Um, again, we don't know yet. Uh, there's a lot of a, a lot of stuff out there. Even the even the telemetry data, I think we need to kind of you know take a grain of salt, take with a grain of salt. In that, um, clearly there was some some telemetry there. Clearly, um, that information is part of of the NTSB's investigation. And uh, we can we can pass around emails and stuff like that, but we won't really know until you know. I want to see the data, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm just kind of that way. Uh, I don't I don't fault uh, the team for uh, uh, you know for obviously for making this data available to the NTSB. There's been some speculation uh, on the internet about some of that data and some of the numbers in it. Uh, again, I kind of think we might want to just kind of take a wait and see attitude. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I just, uh, uh, it is what it is, and and um, um, until I see something from the NTSB or an official uh, statement from the team or something like that, uh, I, I tend to want to take some of this with a grain of salt. I've, okay. You know, j- just, just like you know, CNN is going to get it wrong in the first thirty seconds, we're going to get it wrong in the thir- first thirty days. So, um, I, I don't know. That's that's kind of how I feel about it. Will uh, e- even without the the actual telemetry, the actual measurements, right. um, I- is it realistic to think that some of the NTSB, as I characterize them in an email, the math heads, um, might take all this video and kind of tear it down and measure it and come up Abs- with an estimated G-force? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And there's no question. Yeah, the, the telemetry uh, is going to be one uh, data stream that the NTSB will look at. They'll also look at all the video they can get their hands on, all the stills they can get their hands on. Um, and, uh, you know, these are the same people who determined from the cockpit voice recorder microphone 
in the Palm 90 accident back in January of 82 um, that the, the engines weren't spooled up uh, high to take off power. And the jet went off the end of the runway and crashed into the 14th Street Bridge in, in Washington, D.C., um, even though the cockpit instrumentation told the pilots that they had full power. Uh, so, yeah, they'll, they'll figure this out. Uh, um, and, and they will look at a lot of different sources of data, not just the telemetry and not just the video. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have observed uh, from looking at these photos that um, that it seemed curious that we never saw Leeward's head or helmet through the canopy. Ah, yes. That's, that was, that jumped out at me before I saw the trim tab pictures as being a, uh, a, a salient point that uh, there are photographs that show Jimmy taxiing out in, uh, in uh, Galloping Ghost. I'm not sure if it was for that re- heat or practice or some other part of the uh, program earlier in the week. And watching these guys out there in June, uh, those, you know, I want to call them chopped and channeled fuselages. The guy's got to be able to see, right? Mm -hmm. At least in level flight, uh, he's got to be able to see forward fairly well. He's not going to see anything down in front of him. uh, Not with, you know, the the length of a V-12 engine sticking out in front of you. Uh, And you can very clearly see the pilot's helmet. you know, maybe two-thirds of it above the canopy rail line. Right. This is when he was taxiing out. Yes. Yep. And, and in some shots of, uh, for, that I saw earlier in the week during the race, when it coming around, the, uh, coming around that last pylon and on the straightaway there up front, uh, you can see that. Uh, in most of these accident sequence shots, uh, particularly the ones where you're looking uh, in profile through the airplane, through the canopy, uh, Good light behind it. There's no sign of his helmet. There's no sign of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which you know has lent some uh, support yeah. to the people that think that G Lock uh, was uh, in play here. That uh, what's G Lock? Uh, G enforced loss of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't know obviously, but it's it's a thing. Well, it's 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 a telling point. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine he would have his head stuck down in that cockpit looking for something uh, going that fast, that close to the ground, if he could have been upright and, and trying to control the airplane. Yeah, the the, the thing, um, something happened. Uh, whether he became incapacitated, uh, whether um, uh, there was some an equipment failure uh, in the airframe. Something happened, and uh, uh, we co- we couldn't see the pilot. The thing that that argues to me argues in favor of um, a, a G lock situation or or something else is that the aircraft remained at full power. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think all of us would, at the first sign of a mechanical problem, certainly one related to the airframe, would reduce power. Maybe not all the way, but we'd pull some power off and see what we got. Uh, yeah. and, 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 and as we're pulling out of this in, in this particular, but he, the power was never reduced. Uh, if in fact it was developing 108 inches of manifold pressure uh, prior to the pitch up, um, then it was probably developing 108 inches of manifold pressure when it hit the ground. Yeah, David, what were you going to say? Oh, one of the first, you know, one of the things that we're taught. You know, from early on, is that if things aren't going right, you know, slow down, yeah. pull it back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, assess the situation. Uh, there's no point in getting yourself to the scene of an incident or an accident faster than you have to. So, you know, oh, the airplane's not feeling right. Pull the power back. Get get away from the pattern. Figure it out. Uh, that's the same for flying a Skyhawk or flying a you know an unlimited air racer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it sounds like you guys maybe have been working your contacts to uh, collect information about this. Jeb, have you spoken to any folks uh, about what, what, what happened no. here? No, I haven't. Uh, I, I do have some contacts in that fraternity. Um, 
but um, um, I kind of let them come to me, and yeah. ma- most of that's you know via email. Sure. Hey, David, it sounds like you have heard from some of your your friends and contacts in that world. Uh, are you know are there any eyewitness accounts that you might want to share? Or well, that that's this this is where past accident coverage experience kicks in for me. Uh, covering airline accidents and some GA accidents over the years. Uh, one of the earliest and most difficult things to get my hands around was just how terrible eyewitness accounts generally are when played out against the, the final facts that, as they come from the, the investigators. Right. Uh, some of the early feedback, and a number of friends of mine from here in Wichita and some of their family and some of their business associates were there. And I've heard from some of them. I had to attend a, 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 a very, very celebratory wake for a good friend on Monday evening. And uh, a, a number of us there talked about mutual friends who were there and watched this. Uh, and it, 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 there, there was a lot of input sent to me very early on uh, that just flies pretty much in the face of everything that's come since then. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, I'm not sure how to I'm not sure how to say this and not sound cold-hearted, but there are so many india indications here uh and so many reasons to to doubt that uh Jimmy Leadward was conscious and in control of the airplane those last few seconds. And some of the earliest inputs sent to me were from witnesses talking about how they could tell he was trying to steer the airplane away from the crowd. He kept it from going into the bleachers. Unfortunately, it hit right in the middle of one of the box seat sections. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I'd like to believe that of Jimmy. He was that kind of guy. He would have done that had he been cognizant. But I I don't believe that was the case. Yeah. 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 Now, the the thing that does it for me, and and I, I said this to you guys offline, um, the, air, the the union remained at full chat throughout this event, um, and um, it, it it just doesn't happen unless unless there's something else going on. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's it, it's it, we want to think of the better angels of of people that we know and like uh, right. in circumstances like that, but it's nothing against them or their humanity that. That the, that really couldn't have happened, and we'll know for sure. I don't know that for sure, but there are sure more indications that he was not in control of the airplane than there are that he was. Right. Uh, it, you know, the the very first one being the the power was still full yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard stories from uh, numerous uh, channels, if you will. Um, that the uh, emergency responders and, in fact, the crowd behaved not only wonderfully but perhaps heroically. Uh, We're hearing all kinds of stories about how there was no panic. I mean, there was was a lot of emotion, obviously, from the stories I've heard, but there was no panic. Uh, People left the area in a very orderly fashion. Uh, People who were not injured, um, many of them chose not to leave the area and stayed around to help with the rescue effort. Uh, I've heard stories about how um, um, stretchers were carried away uh, by uh, by one firefighter and f- and three civilian dressed folks. Um, that they 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 transported something on the order of one a minute or something like that. I mean they they transported a lot of people very very quickly. Um, there was relative calm. There was professionalism. Um, there was heroism. I think and uh, I th- I think you know that says a lot for that community. Yeah, it it does, and it says a lot too. I think about the uh, so many of the folks who go to Reno are airplane people to begin with. Yeah, Jeb, uh, you were going to say something. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit deeper than than just a, um, a camaraderie there. I think I think there was just a shock that oh my, how could this happen? This is such a it's been such a safe. Um, um, uh, spectator sport. It's been safe for the spectators. Uh, all of a sudden, this occurs literally in a few, uh, probably less than 10 seconds from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but it's certainly a very, very short period of time. 
you didn't have time to prepare for it. Um, I, I think um, I think a lot of people were then and, and may still be just simply in a state of shock about the whole thing, the way it occurred, um, um, what occurred, and in the aftermath. Um, fortuitously, I'm led to believe the uh, the local EMS people had just held a, a, a drill uh, several days earlier. Yeah, I heard that rela- too. Related to just something, such something, excuse me, related uh, to just such a, a scenario. Yeah, and, and above and beyond the coincidence of that, there's an example of how they they practice this stuff. Uh, so they, I mean, they obviously uh, were well trained. They came in, they did their jobs, and and uh, saved lives. And uh, you know, our hats should be going off to them also, just as it is any time first responders uh, uh, arrive at the scene of something like this. Yeah, yeah. I I wish I had some real statistics in front of me, and I don't. But w- generally speaking, what has been the safety record of U.S. air shows and air races? Well, air races. Um, Specifically, I'm not aware of um, any. I, I'm not aware. I'm not saying that there there haven't been any. I'm just not aware of any uh, injuries or fatalities to spectators uh, in a U.S. airspace air race since the uh, was it 1937, David, in Cleveland, which shut down the Cleveland air races. Uh, no, it, no, it was it was it was in the fifties because yeah. it was a it was a jet uh, that was involved, uh, and the jet uh, somehow su- suffered some mechanical failure. Um, the pilot uh, rode it down as far as he could and ejected. This was like an F eighty six or maybe an ex uh, Korean era uh, uh, Navy jet, I believe. Uh, he ejected, and the aircraft crashed into a house and killed a mother and and child. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah, basically a, all all they rode, as I recall, for the Cleveland air races. Yeah, I'm seeing this is 1949, and Bill Odom in a 51 okay. uh, that well, crashed well, into a home. Was it, okay. I, I, I there there was an air race. There's some event where someone punched out uh, of a uh, a jet in in the 50s or 60s. So its uh, but record is. I, but very, I don't know that I don't know if that was a race though. That could have been just an air show. Uh, this right, was right. Cleveland Air Races in '49, right. yeah. and the races went on hiatus until they were resurrected in 1964 as the Reno National Championship Air okay. Races. And and what about air shows? Like we participate, you know, we we attend at Oshkosh and lots of smaller ones around the country. Um, ICAS has been telling reporters all week, that's the International Council of Air Shows, uh, which is the trade group for uh, air show performers and some of the air show organizers, that there hasn't been a spectator casualty or injury at an air show in over 60 years. Yeah. Um, And that's an air show as opposed to an air race. Right. Uh, An important distinction, I believe. Oh, a huge distinction. Yeah. Huge distinction. Yeah. in a second, I want to hear about a little bit about Jimmy Leeward, but are there any other, you know, sort of practical matters of this whole thing that, that we haven't touched on? Well, just, just to reiterate one thing, that we know bits and pieces that, thanks to photographic evidence, are, are, are pretty concrete to look at. I mean, you know, we don't know why those things occurred that we see in the photographs, and that's what the investigation will bear out. But... A uh, former safety board investigator told a radio reporter this past weekend that if you make this kind of event hermetically sealed against any risk to the crowd, it's no longer going to be a spectator sport because everything will be so far away from the audience well, that nobody will pay to come and see it. Yeah. Jeb? Exactly. And I, I would suggest to you that air racing... Um, is is uh, probably safer than than watching other motorsports. Uh, I'd agree I, with I mean, you. Uh, there have been a number of of crashes in, during automotive races that have killed and injured spectators here in the U.S. and certainly overseas. Um, all sorts of of racing occurs here in the U.S. and uh, f- uh, occasionally, I won't say frequently, occasionally, a crash will will uh, injure a spectator. Um, 
I'm certainly willing to be educated, but I just don't think that's happened in the U.S. since uh, since the Cleveland uh, accident. Yeah, and and now and we have and now we have this. Yeah, that that's my understanding as well. Is that there have been been basically zero spectator fatalities certainly um, in in uh, aviation events. David, and, final thought here, and then I want to ask you a yeah, question. Yeah, and this is about air racing in general. There is only one race in the United States like Reno. There are numerous other air races. Right. Okay. Uh, those are races generally of time and performance across long cross-country courses. We witness the, you know, the, uh, the arrival of racers uh, at Oshkosh every year sure. that have participated in a cross-country race. Uh, that is nothing like what happens at Reno. Pylon racing at Reno is unique. And don't let anybody sell you the idea that air racing blanket needs to be regulated somehow differently because of what happened last Friday at Stead Airport. Another, uh, another, another factoid here, don't forget you know, the Red Bull air races, which, which have been on hiatus for mm-hmm. a year or so and may not return uh, for, for, I think, unrelated reasons. But um, those were conducted all over the world uh, in, in various venues, various locations over the years. And I'm not aware, again, of any spectator uh, uh, being uh, injured or killed as a result of, of an accident in one of those races. There, were, um, there was an episode uh, uh, just a couple of years ago where a, a Red Bull racer uh, crashed his airplane, but he crashed it in the water in, in a harbor. I think it was Sydney, Australia. I'm not sure. Uh, the, the point there, though, is that the, this, this activity is safe to spectators on, a, on, a, uh, uh, on the basis of the, this is the first time this has happened. Yeah, yeah. I, if probably the find, last, I would suggest. If you can find a sporting event that involves speed, if you can find a human activity devoid of risk, by merely attending. Right. I uh, remember Tom Pobresny, when he was still head of the EAA, taking issue with a, uh, uh, a reporter who questioned whether shows like Oshkosh could, should can be allowed to continue because there had been a couple of crashes and fatalities that particular year involving airplanes en route to while they were still hundreds of miles away. And Tom looked at the guy and straight cold. I think it's the only time I ever saw Tom get red faced, but he kept his voice level and he said, so are you suggesting that the officials in Florida should cancel Daytona because there's casualties on the highway, people on their way to the race? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for what it's worth, it's always been my view that the safety measures at at uh, at Reno and all these rare, sh- rare shows are more than sufficient. I have never felt in danger. And based on what we know so far about this tragedy in Reno, um, for what it's worth, I would go to Reno and sit in the stands and sit out in those boxes next year. You in know? a heartbeat. In um, a heartbeat. I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied, you know. So the guys that are most at risk at Reno... Are in, in in order of risk, pilots and the photographers go out to the pylons. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is that. Um, and if if it, you were talking about the behavior of the crowd after this and how people pitched in, and it, it, a couple of things that bear worth saying here too is that the folks at RARA, the Reno Air Racing Association, have just been standout in how they've handled this. Yeah. Uh, they run a very professional organization with volunteers. They're a class act. Uh, and I hope, I hope that this does not mean that this is not spell the end of the Reno national championship air races. Yeah. Here, here. Uh, yeah. Here, here. Um, and you know, let's keep in mind that, um, uh, this was not, you know, Ever since there have been two airplanes, people have wanted to race them. Uh, This is not um, um, two guys sitting around uh, the FBO lounge one afternoon and say, hey, let me race you to to Podunk. Uh, And they go hop in their airplanes and take off and and see how fast they can get from A to B. Um, It's a lot more organized, a lot more professional. 
um, just just evidence uh, of the uh, uh, the various things that Dave's talking about here. Um, this is not uh, um, you know uh, uh, fast and furious with airplanes or something like that. This is a, there's a science here. There's a lot of money being put into this. Uh, there's there are uh, um, I'm sure technological improvements that come out of this activity. Yeah, it's not um, uh, frivolous. It's not um, uh, unorganized. Uh, the FAA is involved throughout uh, setting up these race courses and, and, and operating the races themselves. Um, this was a freak occurrence, yeah. and uh, it'll probably never ha happen again. Uh, and I know, a lot, I know a lot of people are going to do their damnedest to make sure it doesn't happen again. But it should not impact uh, whether or not there's a Reno race next year or the year after that. That's, that decision is probably more up to the airport operation uh, than it is uh, uh, the FAA or uh, um, or, or RARA, uh, RARA, because uh, um, as long as you know the FAA can throw a bunch of uh, uh, restrictions in, in in place and a bunch of changes, but all of that can be complied with for the most part, and and we'll find a way to do it. Um, I know from talking with you offline um, that neither Jeb nor I ever met Jimmy Leeward, but David, you have met him. Um, I, I think you said that you wouldn't exactly characterize him as a close friend, but you've had numerous chances to to uh, get to know him. Tell, tell us a little bit about Jimmy Leeward. Uh, just a really nice guy who was not impressed with his own accomplishments. Uh, very serious about his flying uh, Jimmy was, and and I'm not going to use the, the the what the mainstream media uses. Jimmy was an accomplished aerobatic pilot who flew for Hollywood, performed in a number of movies, uh, including some uh, recently, like the uh, one of the latest movies about uh, uh, oh Amelia, Amelia Earhart. Earhart. Thank you. He uh, had been around this sport for a long time. He'd been, he was a real estate developer. If you've ever seen ads for the residential air park Leeward Air Ranch outside Ocala, Florida, uh, that was his baby. We met a number of times at Sun and Fun, a couple of times when I was out at the air show performer's tent with the Warbirds people. Uh, you know, he, he wouldn't stick out in a crowd for the way he acted or the way he talked. Uh, he was generous with his colleagues. Uh, he was, man, he was dead serious about making Galloping Ghost a gold winner this year. Uh, yeah. And had been working on it a long time to get that airplane to go uh, 500 miles an hour uh, around that course. It's one thing to go 500 miles an hour down the straightaway. It's another thing to get it around an oval eight, eight and a quarter miles long and have the speeds average that high. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of his goal. Uh, nice guy. Uh, we belonged to uh, a, a club together. Uh, he, uh, he he's the kind of guy that doesn't come along all that often. Mm -hmm. What was he like in person? Was he friendly, funny, yeah, quiet? Yeah. Uh, oh, he, you know, he was. He, I wouldn't say he's overly gregarious or anything like that, but he was friendly. Uh, had a quick wit. Easy to talk to. Uh, I didn't know who the hell he was the first time I met him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I had no idea about his background. But just, you know, uh, sit down at a table, a couple of people introduce me. And so it was like, well, what do you do? And, well, I do this. And what do you do? Well, I, you know, I, I, I fly a little bit for the movies and I do this and that. And, like, you, you meet people like that every day in, in this business, right? Well, no, you don't. Some of them are so impressed with themselves uh, that they, they, they are enough impressed with themselves that nobody else really needs to be. Jimmy was not one of those. You know, there, there are just no words to express the sadness that I'm sure we all feel for the, the death and suffering that came out of this thing. Um, our hearts go out to all these people, uh, all their families, all their friends, all the witnesses. Um, and, uh, it you know, is, it is a tragic, tragic uh, occurrence. Uh, I don't think any of us can begin to uh, completely equate with what's going through the hearts and minds of the families impacted directly by this, the, the folks injured and the folks killed. Jeb, final word? Yeah, I, I would just 
um, you know, we talked about a lot of things in this episode and uh, um, a lot of uh, uh, traumatic things uh, and a lot of things that we, you know, we just don't know for certain what, ha- what happened here. So um, everybody kind of, you know, take a, de- te- excuse me, take a deep breath um, and let's, you know, let's wait for some of the official investigation to, to progress. Uh, before we start making some conclusions, we st- before we start concluding what happened and how it happened, um, exactly, as, yeah. as is so as, as is so frequently the case, uh, we can speculate all day long, and, and we've done so here for a little bit over an hour. Um, um, but um, is is so frequently the case? What happens in the end is is completely different. Uh, uh, what what the investigators uncover is completely different than what uh, uh, we thought about talking about going in. So. Yeah. I would just ask everyone to take this with a grain of salt and uh, um, uh, just be thankful it wasn't worse. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your uh, your uh, you know sharing this with us and uh, and and you know in a, in a small way trying to puzzle out what happened here and, yeah. and trying to kind of figure out something out yeah. about it and maybe learn a little bit about it that makes our flying a little bit safer in the future. I don't know. This has been episode 255 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We are uh, Dave Higdon, Jeb Burnside, and Jack Hodgson, and we'll be back next week.